doing it more as a lifestyle change, right? It, and for me, building in public is not a tactic. It's not a hack. It is a way of life. And today we have a superb guest on the show. So hi, KP. In your Twitter handle, you are dubbed as the build in public guy. So I'm very curious, how did you get started with building in public? Hey, everybody. Um, and thanks, Rohi, for having me. So, I mean, it, it, it all started in 2018, um, almost uh, serendipitously or accidentally, where I was, I mean, my original intention was to build uh, a no-code project um, and put it on Twitter and kind of do this over time, over and over again. Um, and so I, I built this project called do things that don't scale.com, which still exists, and uh, wanted to get feedback from people how they felt, what I can add to it, and how it can make it better. So I put it on Twitter, and then I got instant feedback from other you know, founders and makers. So I thought this was fun, and I was surprised that I didn't notice this phenomenon, phenomenon before, and I didn't really, really try it before. So I was like, this is great. I'm going to uh, keep building no-code projects and putting them in public, as in putting them on Twitter. At the time, I had 414 followers. Now I have 32,000. But it's funny, because even at that small scale, it, it felt like there was a constant feedback loop and I decided I'm going to just, you know, continue building like this. And I built over the course of, you know, the two years, I think I built about 15 projects, everything in public, like even from the moment that I have an idea, even from when I'm purchasing a domain, um, my decisions around what I would put on the landing page, how much should I charge? Everything was done. Like almost my decision-making was done in public by taking people's inputs and, you know, eventually people started calling me the building public guy and like, you know, almost as a tongue in cheek reference, because I was always doing this. And I realized that there's a whole movement, um, you know, of building builders who are building in public. And I became, you know, active in there. I tried to add value and, you know, connect people in that movement. And over time, I became a, you know, one of the leading voices there. Um, but as a practice, I think building in public has been around for more than like six or seven years. So it's not new, but I think it's caught a really exciting energy now. Yeah, fantastic. I loved your points on how you kind of surrenderlessly started on Twitter and then you kind of used it to as a kind of feedback loop for yourself and then how you became over time involved in the building in public movement. So I wanted to ask you if you could share any frameworks about using VIP not just to secure podcast guests as I've seen you done on your Twitter, but also as any frameworks as well on how to create content using the BIP mindset. I think the biggest shift, um, I encourage all the listeners um, to um, consider is um, pursuing it more as a lifestyle change, right? It, and for me, building in public is not a tactic. It's not a hack. It is a way of life. And and that's why I was able to pull off so many other things that were beyond the initial use case I was using before, which is the no code, right? I was using it for my podcast guest. I was using it. Now I'm writing a book. I'm, I used it to pitch myself in public and get a book publisher, you know, on Twitter. And so many things, right? I mean, um, numerous number of things. I can quote uh, examples where I used building public. So I think the biggest shift um, happens when you realize that building in public is not a tactic or a hack, but it is a way of life. And then you start to um, get creative and, and, and apply the core principle behind it, which is, you know, um, you know, if you have an ask, if you have um, a particular thing that you want, 
um, somebody on the internet to help you with, especially, you know, especially in a niche to help you with. The the formula is being very vocal, public, and open about what you want, and uh, making sure that you have enough social capital uh, behind your ask. So what I mean by social capital is that you must have enough reputation or trust, built up trust or attention, you know, in that particular niche or in that particular market segment for them to react to your ask or your offer. Otherwise, it's just going to be, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be just diluted away or drifted away in the stream of infinite content that goes on on the internet. So anyway, that's the core principle, right? And it's, it's, a, it's harder if you don't understand the principle and like you try to like hack it because, you know, people can see through that and um, you would just kind of you know, run into so many rejections and it's going to dishearten you and you're never going to try building in public, you know, because you're like, I'm not getting the feedback loop and I'm not getting people to do what I want them to do. Um, what is going on? And you get into this whole cycle of like, am I not good enough? Is this not good enough? And I think that's all, you know, um, unhealthy and not, not productive. The real question you should be asking is, it's not about self-worth. It's about have I earned their trust and reputation and, and attention yet? In many cases, the answer is no, and that's okay. You know, early on, you may not have earned that trust from this community or audience, but if you can change that, you can fix it by giving more value, by being prolific in the way you keep giving value and creating content and helping people. And over time, you know, that compounds and suddenly you become such an authority figure, such an expert, such a loved, beloved um, voice in the community that they can't help but help you some awesome points and I think the biggest takeaways for the audience today are being open being public and having some social capital behind your ask so my next question is so how do you kind of build this social capital it can happen in many ways right the the um the crux of it is you how do you build trust and attention with someone like attention is basically by showing up every single day right? Like if my face is visible to you and familiar to you, you know, for, I don't know, a year, you know who I am by default. It's kind of like how all the celebrities in Hollywood, like how, how does Chris Evans or how does, um, you know, I don't know, The Rock, you know, or who's, who's a big holiday Hollywood celebrity, how is he famous in like a small village in India, right? Because he shows up on that channel every single day. Maybe there was a movie that they were playing every weekend or something. And so they, the familiarity aspect I think was hard for me to understand uh, in the beginning because I thought maybe I should not show my face. Maybe I should be like mysterious and like some anonymous account. But in, in sales, they say like people need to like you. And the way they can like you is if you don't have any, any um, you know, if you're being authentic, right? You don't have a show. You're not putting on a show. You're just being yourself. And, um, and you're being authentic and you're trying to, you know, be like, create familiarity with your audience or community over time. So what happened, like a light bulb went off in my head when I realized this discovery, I think 2019, because until then I was just like, you know, I didn't show my face, I didn't do podcasts, I didn't do um, YouTube videos or I didn't do any appearances because I was like, who's going to listen to me? Who's going to see my face, right? And, but I'm like, no, it's not about me. It's, it, why am I thinking the whole concept is about my beauty or my face? It's not about me. It is about them. It is about the audience and how can I show up for them? You know, being, bring my authentic self. I am the Indian, you know, guy who lived in India, born and raised in India for 20 years and then moved to the U.S. I'm an immigrant in the U.S. now for 10, you know, I think 11 years. That's my authentic story. And I will 
sound like this. I will look like this. You know, I'm not, you know, Robert Downey Jr. I am who I am. And I started taking pride in understanding that I am meant to be who I am. And I, if I can bring myself authentically to my community or the audience on the internet and show up every single day, you know, with my face or with me or with my content and say, here's what I'm here to add value for. And those micro content value um, that you do every single day over time, over the course of two years, compound so much. And suddenly, like, you know, again, over, over the course of time, you become such a prolific expert that everybody wants to talk to you or everybody wants a meeting with you. Everybody wants a piece of, you know, you and all that. So I think that's familiarity, right? That's how you build like familiarity slash, you know, consistency and showing up um, in one part of it. The other part of it is, so I talked about attention. It's like a coin. The one side of it is attention. The other side of it is trust. Trust is harder than attention. I could like create a scheme or, you know, say something controversial on Twitter and create attention, right? For example, if I said something stupid or a racist or something dumb, of course I have the world's attention, but is it good attention? It's not because you only just have one side of the coin, which is attention, but you don't have trust. Nobody will ever trust you to come on a podcast or nobody wants to be inspired by you. Nobody wants to learn from you because you're an idiot. You just made a fool of yourself. The trust piece is where it takes real authentic patience, but like genuine care for your audience and community. If you can bucket all of the community and audience into, let's say, six people around you on a dinner table and say, how can I show up every day and what can I add value to these people? It is not complicated. The value can be something as simple as creating a curated list of, for example, I'm in the no-code world, curating a small list of top no-code tools that people can use. Or here's a new no-code tool that I discovered on Product Hunt. I played with it. I made a two-minute video. Check this out, my community. And so basically keep offering value and a value and giving without any expectations. Now that's the hard part. A lot of people give because they want to manipulate them into buying a product or buying something eventually. But it's a short-term tactic. You know, just like how you would not expect things from your family members. You just do it because it's the right thing to do and you're selfless at that point. Do the same thing. And that's how you earn trust. Because people will remember you as the guy or gal who followed through on the promise. If you say you're going to do X, do it and be reliable and be honest, be candid um, and, and, and just give value without expectation. So that will compound as well. And the combo of attention and trust is to me, social capital. Over time, this builds and builds and builds. And like I said, it opens many doors. A lot of people will want to work with you. A lot of founders want your investment. If you're an investor, it's going to change your life. That's what changed my career, in my view. Well, to be selfless and as equating to trust and then attention and trust is equal to social capital. So my next question is, so in your kind of narrative today, you kind of discussed a bit about immigrants in America and how you were also an immigrant into America. So my question for you is, so how can immigrants in America be better supported by policy infrastructure and um, just by the community? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think there there are a lot of efforts in that area trying to to, to help immigrants, um, you know, assimilate better in, into the country. And and um, you know, I think there's a whole wave of immigrants every year coming in, you know, through as students, 
as I know you referred to earlier, Ruhi, that you're a student here in the US and I was a student here, you know, uh, 10 years ago on, on an F1 visa. Um, so I think there's a, there's a lot of infrastructure that's, you know, existing, but I think it could be much better. It could be much bigger. It could be much more welcoming in the sense that the paperwork and the loops and hoops that you have to go through to really contribute back into American economy after you graduated college is ridiculous. And, and I feel like the, the options on the table were when I, at least this is 10 years ago, the options on the table were like just H1B visa, like get a job. But once you got a job, you couldn't do side hustles. You couldn't like, you know, you, you couldn't like try out different experiments and business ideas and eventually leave this job to go get on that, you know, new startup. And I feel like that's very limiting because this, in, in this generation is the generation of entrepreneurs, right? We're not the nine to five, um, you know, clockwork, um, you know, um, office workers anymore. That was the previous generation. This current generation is filled, brimming with ideas, brimming with new startup, you know, concepts. They want to create new technology. And I feel like the current visa system is still outdated and antiquated that they're still viewing them as, oh yeah, you got an H-1B at Deloitte or you got an H-1B at, um, I don't know, Delta Airlines, which means that's it. That's all you should do. You know, you cannot do any side projects, you know, cannot create a, you know, a podcast or you cannot create like something that would make even a cent, right? Because um, they're so afraid. That feels like such a zero-sum game. And they're so afraid that you're going to take away jobs from the native uh, citizens or Americans. And I feel like that's such a zero-sum way. I think immigrants and citizens should view being together as a positive some way. What can we achieve, you know, things um, when we're combined, when we're blended? That's how you see the NBA, you know, or any of these great athlete programs are like NBA doesn't is not afraid of the three immigrant players from, you know, Africa or like, you know, let's say we have the right now we're talking about uh, Mavs, you know, which is the NBA um, Western Conference Finals team, Dallas Mavericks, and their top player is um, Luka Doncic, who is an immigrant from Slovenia. And so Steph Curry, who's an American citizen playing, you know, on the other team, which is Warriors, um, is not concerned that like he's taking a job away from another local player. Like that's bullshit. Like you never even think about it that way in the in the sports arena. However, when it comes to economy and jobs, somehow we feel like Jobs are just a finite number of jobs and they're they're going to be taken away by some other people if they're like, you know, if you're not letting, you know, if you're letting people like, you know, get visas that are more favorable to to other projects and side households and like other things. So I feel it's there's a lot can be done. I feel like the fundamental first principle that needs to be fixed is the mindset, which the lawmakers and the citizens, I think, should come come to the table thinking it's a positive sum. And not necessarily it's a zero sum, which means like, you know, we're going to displace some jobs from Americans. You know, I feel like if you know the stats, like more immigrants in America have created jobs in the next 10 years than um, leaving, you know, 50% of all start, your startup unicorns are founded by at least one immigrant. So, I mean, it's just a hilarious thing to me. And I'm hoping and rooting for a big change. And I know if I can play a small role there, you know, I will want to. Awesome. I think your insights were great. So now I wanted to kind of pivot into the tech slowdown and how do you break into the market? Is it still possible and uh, where? It's a great question. I think um, the market conditions will vary, you know, um, I mean, that's outside of your control, outside all of our control. Um, 
it it wanes and you know it has its own like uh ebbs and flows right um and you know it is down the funding rounds are down i feel like the the, the capital is frozen at least for the moment but we've seen this you know movie before we've seen 2008 and 9 we've seen 1999 2000 the dot com bust so you know everything that um that um slows down will have to accelerate again and some of the best companies in the world were started during the uh the downturns so this is actually a ripe fertile ground uh, for you know real entrepreneurs and real founders if they have a compelling idea i think this might be a great market to get in because you're not faced with a lot of um noise and a lot of unnecessary competition um you know because people are being much more cautious so i think that's one thing as a founder now as an employee you can still break into tech because you know um there are hiring people are always hiring great talent um it may you may be you may have to work harder to get into the companies as opposed to like i think like a year ago everything was on a hiring spree everyone was on you know a crazy hiring spree and now maybe you'll have to prove your merit a bit more maybe like you know come up with um you know uh, unconventional ways of standing out and doing your research and genuinely doing some of the work that you want to do for a particular startup ahead of time like you know create a notion doc and document like five to six ideas that you would bring to that particular job if you were hired and you know send that over in your first meeting you know with the hr person or whoever you're talking to so basically like tactics and and things that will make you stand out are just pure um you know hunger and uh perseverance and more importantly like putting in the work you know now is the time to you know earn your job as opposed to someone handing it to you so easily so i think that's a um uh, that's a mindset shift as well i think your point on earning your job was very powerful so earlier you had discussed about how you were going to write a book so i wanted to kind of get your take on writing a new york times bestseller and what's the power of manifesting and build i so this all came about because i had a um i had a I, i don't know this was after me leaving on deck and uh i was just relaxing and um it was so serendipitous i think one night i think i was taking a shower this is super candid and random but it was one night i was just taking a shower and i it just hit me like a lightning it just hit me that hey you know this is probably a great time for me because i'm between jobs and um and i probably will never have this free time that i have in the future and eventually i want to start a startup or something in the future so i might get busier and busier so what could i do now in this window of time um that i would never be able to do in like 5 years later and i thought writing a book and i thought wow you know i have this topic called building in public and i've been talking about it for four i mean three years and hundreds of workshops podcast interviews threads i've done so much content on this i'm like you know what it would be so cool if i accumulated everything and you know and organized it in a easily digestible way for an average person in america or around the world to get to understanding um what building in public is and i thought maybe i should write a book and so that's it i just came out out of the shower and i you know put it in my um phone i mean the uh, in my phone that i'm going to write a book and so next day morning i woke up and tweeted about it saying um you know i'm going to um i'm i'm going to manifest a book out of a tweet so the tweet was that i'm going to write a new york bestseller book 
Um, and here's the thesis. And there was like, you know, four or five three, uh, tweets around what the thesis is, what the book is about, who it serves, its founders and entrepreneurs. And I actually at the time did not have a book publisher because you need a book publisher if you want to like get, you know, get printed traditionally. And uh, my call to action towards the end of that, my ask of the thread was connect me with any book publishers you may know or tag tag somebody who may you you may want to see working with me and so on. And within three days, I got like lots of leads. And, you know, within a week I got my, I haven't signed it, but I got like a very, very strong lead that, you know, I think I'm going to work with, you know, with that person. So it's again, fabulous how powerful Twitter is, how powerful um, building in public is when you're, when you're being honest and open. And uh, the, the manifesting part is, you know, I feel like a lot of these things, you know, when you have a very clear ambition and when you vocalize it, um, you kind of use that as your accountability device. That's how I think about it. Um, and now I'm going to work my ass off to make sure that I sell enough copies so that I, I, I help enough people that it, it, it becomes a New York bestseller. Right. And it's very hard. Like it was very nervous. I was very nervous the night before to tweet about it. Cause I was like, what if I fail? What if I look like a fool? You know, what if like it doesn't happen? And, but I thought the upside of this happening is far more powerful and life-changing, career-changing than the downside of this not happening. You know, who cares if it doesn't happen? No one's going to come after me, right? Like, it's not like a real bad thing. It's just I failed. It's okay. You know, and also it's a way to normalize failure. Um, so that's it. Wow, that's awesome. Kind of how everything came full circle for you with manifesting everything and now you might be getting into New York Times bestseller. That's amazing. So I think some of the big takeaways for audience today is upside and manifestation and Twitter, power of Twitter. So I was wondering if you could kind of share your take on what's the power of Twitter and how to create opportunities and kind of what was your experience like growing on Twitter and how did you build that initial kind of circle of support? The, the thing with Twitter... Um is I think I have to wonder if it's the same with YouTube too um, or any other platform too, but the first thousand is the hardest. The first thousand followers um, is the hardest and it's almost unfair. Like why that's so hard, you know? Um, but that's how it is. Um, and so in the beginning you are, you know, you, you also are a little too much in your head, in your own head. So you're overthinking everything you say. You just don't have that ease. You don't have that conviction and the, and the, and the, and the finesse, you know, like the, the smooth, um, you know, style in the beginning, because you're just so like nervous about impressing people or like trying to say the right thing and getting value out there. Um, so my first, I think my, I probably took two and a half years or something to get to a thousand, thousand followers. It was so freaking hard. And the thousand to 10,000 was less hard um, compared to the first, you know, one, but it was still, it did. So my, I remember like almost two years, I, I think it was a thousand followers. I was still creating a lot. At the thousand follower mark, I think I took an intentional decision. This is like July, 2020, where I said, I'm going to go supernova on this because I know what's working. I know my voice, my voice and my niche is no code and building public and founders. So I'm going to like, I've been creating like maybe, you know, three tweets a day or maybe like on a, on a, on a weekly basis, maybe like 15 tweets a week or something. That was my cadence at the time. And I thought, why am I limiting myself with an artificial limit? Like who says that I only I can only create 15? Otherwise, they're going to unfollow. The ones who are going to unfollow me will unfollow me anyway. So I went supernova. I decided to go like to the fourth gear, you know, in a metaphor, metaphor, metaphorical way. 
And I started creating 15 tweets a day. And I just started using a notion as a documented hub. And I created all my ideas there. And I would have like a note-taking systems. So anytime I saw something interesting that would be useful for my audience, I would like document it. And then I started like going super hard on it. A lot of people were commenting, they were like, KP, you're like on fire. And I was like, yes, I am on fire because I know what I'm doing now. And from there, I think it still took, it still took almost like seven months, eight months to get to 3K, almost like another six months to get to 5K. And then everything started falling in place. Once I got to 5K, 6K, from there, I was at a whole new level. In terms of even my ease of use, I became much more high conviction confident that I didn't care about one or two missed tweets. I only focused on the one or two great tweets each week. And I just kept going after, I still was doing like 15 or maybe 10 each day on average. And I got to 10K easily. And then from 10K to 20K very easily. From 20K to 30K was the easiest. Like I slept uh, on one weekend night and woke up next to morning. I had like 3000 followers. And it's so unfair. That's the whole point of what I'm trying to say. It's so unfair at the end when you're making these thousands and thousands of followers with like no effort. In the same way, it's so unfair in the beginning where you're trying so hard and yet you only get like 40 followers that weekend. But that's how it is set up. And I wish I knew the story and the secret, you know, when I started, because I would panic less. And I think I would enjoy my scenic route of getting to where I am now with, with, with much more chill. I'm trying to apply the same lessons on YouTube, by the way. Um, I just started my YouTube channel. I have 71 grand followers. That's it. And it's, it's it feels like I'm speaking into the void. It feels like nobody's listening. It feels like I'm trying too hard. And I think I'm trying to remember my own lessons from Twitter is that, hey, in the beginning, it's supposed to be hard. That's why millions of people don't do it. You know, think about how many people actually are creators on YouTube, very less, you know, and same thing with Twitter. So I'm trying to get past the first thousand on YouTube. It may take a year, a year and a half, if I can be patient, because I know once I get to like the thousands, the ROI at the end is also unfair. And I'll get like, you know, 40,000 or something on, on a month's time at the end. So trying to remember those lessons and apply it in the new platform. Examples were great. And I think you are a good example of how if you double down on your niche and you set the frequency, you can definitely achieve a lot of success in the platform that you're trying to target. So my next question is, so what's your take on unexamined self-talk in journaling? Like you'd mentioned today that before you came on the podcast, you had dabbled a bit in journaling. Yeah, I. Uh, it's a great question. I, I used to journal frequently back in the day, maybe like 2018 time when I read the book called Atomic Habits, and it was one of my atomic habits each day. I'm less frequent now because now you know uh, my my schedule is a little um, has been um, up and down, given that I have a newborn, um, one year old kid, and I just got off. I mean, I was at on deck. I was just you know all over the place and. Um, so slowly getting back on the on the track of habits. And since maybe like 15 days, I've been journaling again, almost consistently every day. And I realized like when I sit with the journal and intentionally decide to write one page of something, it doesn't have to be anything. Sometimes I you know this is sound, it's going to sound super weird. Sometimes I sit there and write, I love myself. I love myself and I love myself and so on. And so hard to actually say that out loud, uh, both to you now you know, on this podcast, but also even in the book, because we have so many limiting thoughts and self unexamined self-talk that is trying to like be a negative critic and say, why would you love yourself? Like, are you so vain? Are you so narcissistic? Or do you, don't you know your flaws? Like, what are you talking about? What is great about you to love yourself and stuff like that? 
but when you when, when i also write like i love my son or love my wife then i don't look at i don't think about their flaws i don't think about you know any of the other things and so i realized that you know this is actually a harder challenge and i need to ground myself to this truth that you know there is this chatter in my head that goes on despite all my success there's always this chatter that goes on that says you're not enough you can be content you can be patient you can be great grateful and my daily struggle is to sit there and fill up that page with words of affirmations and words of like you know kind um, love etc to battle that negative self talk and basically kind of clear out my you know mind's inbox because it filled it's filled with spam like this and so by the by the 15 minute 20 minute mark i actually start feeling better i start i start feeling you know much more grateful content and sometimes i write a list of things i'm grateful for like it's a giant list of 15 20 pretty things sometimes i make a list of key wins i had since a decade the the other thing funny thing is sometimes you sit there and i write okay small wins i had since yesterday or whatever and my brain's always it's got recency bias it's always showing me i got nothing from last day you got nothing man like why are you there's not much to celebrate but then i zoom out and add perspective and say let's make a list of all the things that i've you know all the wins i had since a decade right the whole 10 year span then do you have so many wins including like the fact that i got my green card the fact that i have my son now the fact i got my job at on deck and the fact that i have gary v on the podcast and so many more things so i then like get happier so you know i think the practice of doing it i think is is um so effective and i recommend it to all the listeners it sounds goofy and sounds you know kooky when i say it out loud that i write i love myself on a, on a on a piece of paper but you know there's some truth to it there's some uh, internal struggle to it if you really sit down and do it yeah that was fabulous how you shared about your own story with journaling and the power of journaling with the listeners today so um my last question is so what are you bullish on currently i am bullish on the creator economy i think um we're going to see a lot of creators um who will continue to add value and and build businesses around them um i think the the word creator is a little misleading i think it's more like an expert economy in my view like you have to be an expert to uh uh to be able to create a business because like i said creators sometimes means you just have the attention right creators sometimes feel like the word really is referring to influencers right like people on tiktok or instagram or some twitter influencers but nobody will pay a dime if you just have attention people want attention and trust like i said um to me those two are basically expert you know when you become an expert you have those two um and you have social capital and you have an audience so i think that is a huge opportunity there uh, i'm trying to do it myself i'm trying to create gumroad products i'm trying to create you know um my twitter i mean youtube channel and all these things a lot of this i want to do it for free and maybe some of them i'll do for for paid but that's that's all that's all um uh, i i i want to do for a big chunk of my next decade so that's what i'm bullish on and you know um we'll we can talk about other things later wow that's awesome that how you're like so embedded in the creator economy and you have such a strong voice in the building in public movement and i'm really excited for your new new york times best seller book <laughs>
Now, just a small request. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review the podcast in Apple Podcast. Or if you're listening on Spotify, make sure you follow there, subscribe and share the podcast with other people. Hope you learned something new today and looking forward to connecting next week. Thank <laughs> you.